Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy weekly podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Vallée, Associate Fellow in the GCSP Global Fellowship Initiative. For the next few weeks, I'm talking with subject matter experts on issues of peace, security, and international cooperation. Thanks for tuning in. For observers of international relations and development, Africa is never out of the news. The recent past has been rich with more developments, from several presidential elections to the offensive of jihadist fighters reaching Mozambique, Ethiopia's dispute with neighboring countries on the Nile Basin water management, among many other issues affecting human security. I'm joined today by Dr. Deligi Eric Delgila, who has been uh, one of the experts on Africa addressing the leadership in international security course this year at the GCSP. Dr. Degila is with the Geneva Graduate Institute of International Relations and Development, where he's a visiting lecturer in the Departments of International Relations and Political Science, a senior researcher with the Global Migration Center, and a research associate with the Center on Conflict Development and Peacebuilding. He focuses his work on state building, on armed conflicts, religion and politics, migration, foreign policies and international organizations, and on global health and development. His career, uh, academic career, spans both Africa as an associate professor at the École Nationale d'Administration et de Magistrature of Benin, but also here in Geneva, also in France, in Morocco, in Mexico, and also two distinguished universities in Japan, Waseda and Sofia. He's also advised several international organizations, including the African Union. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. de Gilla, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for your kind invitation. My first question to you is, uh, has the COVID-19 pandemic overcome uh, the importance of the other security challenges that are faced by the African continent? No. The COVID-19 pandemics and unprecedented global crises shed light on the urgent need to strengthen public health systems in Africa. Mm-hmm. Key human security challenges in the region remain the same, but the pandemic exacerbated them by worsening human humanitarian crises in many parts of the continent. They are related to situations of extreme poverty, horizontal inequalities, and bad governance, which produce structural violence. As you know, the concept of structural violence refers to the negative impact produced by social structures in a context of deep inequalities and lack of basic human needs. It underlines the inability of a state to assume its fundamental duties, notably access to health for all citizens. For example, the relationship between structural violence and life expectancy is well established in the specialized literature. In Sierra Leone, life expectancy was less than 55 years old in 2020. For the same year, life expectancy in Switzerland was over 83 and almost 85 in Japan. Obviously, a context of structural violence is conducive to increase complex human security challenges in Africa, and COVID-19 worsened such dynamic. Thank you very much for uh, uh, 
quite a, a sobering uh, reminder uh, of, uh, of the realities <laughs> that are faced. Um, and uh, so, of course, my next question to you would be, uh, of course, as someone who uh, observes and, and, and charts uh, all uh, of uh, these uh, structural security problems you're just mentioning, uh, the question is, what, what lessons are currently emerging uh, from uh, from Africa itself uh, in the management and problem solving uh, of these uh, security challenges? Well, an important lesson that we can learn in relation with security challenges in Africa is the need to adopt a holistic and nuanced perspective on such issues beyond conventional explanations based on essentialist discourses. Contemporary Africa faces multiple security challenges, including hybrid and asymmetric threats such as Al-Shabaab and Boko Haram's criminal actions, food insecurity, primarily due to climate change, the phenomenon of piracy, or the proliferation of transnational criminal networks. Another common security challenge in the region is a civil war. Mm. This type of internal armed conflicts, but also violent extremism are often analyzed through identity lenses in terms of ethnic or religious violence. Such dimensions are relevant, but it is crucial to adopt a broad perspective to capture the complex dynamics that threaten peace and stability in the region. To illustrate my point, I would like to mention the case of the civil war which devastated Cote d'Ivoire in 2000. If issues of identity can be conflict prone in Africa, just as elsewhere, the multi-ethnic nature of African countries doesn't per se produce civil war. It is rather the misuse of different differences in identity by some political elites that often leads to armed violence. The, con the concept of uh, ivoirité is a relevant example of how elites can exacerbate identity discourse to achieve their political goals. In 1990s, in Côte d'Ivoire, the notion has been designed to define who is an authentic citizen of Côte d'Ivoire and consequently who is not. Such dynamic is termed ethno-nationalism, a sort of political configuration based on the notion of autochtony. Besides, the civil war in Côte d'Ivoire was also a result of deep horizontal inequalities defined as the degree of disproportionality between the size of groups in their respective share of certain resources or assets, such as political power, education, wealth, etc. And here I refer to the work of Francis Stewart and Annie. Mm. These type of inequalities are termed horizontal to distinguish them from inequalities among individuals, which are vertical inequalities. And basically, the literature. Uh, offers four types of horizontal inequalities, which are important to understand how conflict dynamics are very complex on the ground. 
First, you have economic horizontal inequalities, for example, uh, income, the issue of access to land, job opportunities. And in Cote d'Ivoire, actually, it was very difficult for people who are from other identity groups to access to um, job or land. And this produce a lot of grievances, which fuel conflict dynamics. You have also social horizontal inequalities uh, related to human capital, access to health, housing, etc. Political horizontal inequalities, the possibility to access to top level positions. And again, here you can see how the concept of ivoirité have been instrumentalized to exclude some political elites uh, to the top level position. And finally, you have the cultural horizontal inequalities, which um, uh, follow the dynamics where the state per se excludes some uh, traditions uh, in a country which is supposed to be uh, open for all types of uh, an identity. So you can see how horizontal inequalities uh, are particularly conflict prone in multicultural contexts, such as Côte d'Ivoire, where state apparatus promoted the exclusion of some identity groups from the civitas, that is the Ivorian nation as a social construct. Well, uh, I can see that obviously, uh, in uh, one sense, the uh, the research you do is uh, uh, one of the important elements to actually understanding uh, the nature of the problems and, in particular, the horizontal uh, inequalities that you were just uh, just mentioning. Uh, what I would turn now also is also to uh, some some issues about about problem solving. And uh, as you're well aware, for the for this year in in, in international Geneva in particular, uh, it's uh, been a year in which uh, we've seen uh, the first African woman uh, become the director general of uh, the uh, uh, World Trade Organization. Um, and of course, with the uh, worldwide response to the uh, pandemic, it's also another. African Director General, uh, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus of the uh, uh, World Health Organization, who's also been on the uh, on the forefront uh, of, of the public response. So my question to you now would be whether you feel that Africa's uh, mark and footprint in improving the areas of global governance and international organization, is that progressing in your sense? Well, I think that Africa plays a key role at global level. And African states used to follow uh, actually the doctrine of Pan-Africanism to promote a sort of African voice. As you know, Pan-Africanism is the oldest and most prominent expression of African regionalism. It is a doctrine based on a common vision of what should be desired for the of it belongs to a family of regionalist ideologies built on shared conceptions of history and culture. And here I refer to the work of Amitav Acharya. Mm -hmm. According to Tandika um, Nkundarare, Pan-Africanism is a strategy of social solidarity as well as 
cultural, political, and economic emancipation among African nations. Today, the African Union is the privileged framework to promote such projects. And you mentioned two uh, uh, African uh, citizens uh, who are leading two main international organizations in Geneva. I can tell you that they have been elected thanks to this idea of solidarity that the African group plays. Usually for this kind of election, uh, African states try to um, find a consensus behind one candidate. Mm -hmm. And I think this is uh, uh, something important in terms of uh, electoral strategies. But if you look at how the COVID-19 pandemics is managed in Africa, you will notice that the regional organization has been quite successful yeah. through this Africa Joint Continental Strategy for COVID-19. For example, in terms of access to vaccines, the African Union has been able to secure the double numbers of doses in comparison to what COVAX, the COVID-19 vaccine in global access, the multilateral framework provided to the continents. Basically, African states used to follow the strategy of together we are strong. And you can see how under the auspices of the African Union, um, they used to design a sort of common African position on key global issues. For example, during the negotiation, which led to the UN Sustainable Development Goals agenda, mm -hmm. African state came with an ambitious project which promotes the need to protect biodiversity and natural resources. They also advocate on issues related to desertification and deforestation, which are critical for Africa, notably in its subequatorial zone and in the desert of Sahara. Of course, Africa is not a geopolitical homogeneous configuration, but when it comes to deal with key issues, such common position is often the result of a sort of common denominator. Thank you very much also for this, uh, I think, very important reminder of uh, the uh, paramount role of uh, the African regional organizations uh, especially in, in, in tackling specifically African problems. And uh, that leads me, of course, to my first question, which would be whether uh, these organizations and, uh, and also, of course, uh, all of the uh, scholars such as yourself who, who look at African questions, uh, whether you're identifying now any future or emerging problems uh, that will would be of most concern to Africans in the coming future years? There are several potential challenges Africa may face in the coming years. Uh, let me emphasize on one of them here. By 2050, Africa will count 1 billion, 300 million working age people. Yes. only in its sub-Saharan part. Yes. 
Yes. Experts present the demographic dividend in the region as an asset. And it is a case if young people are well-educated, trained, and included in national development policies. However, the exponential growth of youth population in the region may become a time bomb, especially in context of inequalities, neopatrimonialism, and bad governance. As uh, developed previously, terrorism and violent extremism often proliferate when state apparatus fail to assume its sovereign duties. In a such configuration, youth can be used as a negative instrument. In the past, we saw an extreme case um, of this phenomenon in West Africa with the famous warlord Charles Taylor, who instrumentalized child soldiers in Liberia and Sierra Leone in 1990s. More recently, we observed in the Sahel how violent extremist groups such as Acme, Ansardin, Al Murabitun, now emerge movement called Junin, Jama, At Nusrat, Al Islam, Wal Muslim, take profit of youth distress in the complex context described above to recruit and indoctrinate hundreds of young people in Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Libya, etc. The same dynamic is at work in Somalia and Kenya with Al-Shabaab. Thus, it's critical for each African state to develop relevant national policies to promote sustainable development by placing people, especially the youth, as its raison d'etre. Interestingly, the African Union, in the framework of its Agenda 2063, is advocating for a such turn with a particular emphasis on people-driven development policies. To achieve this, access to education is key to my point of view. Well, indeed, uh, Africa being uh, in uh, many senses uh, for the coming century, the, the continent of uh, youth, I think here too, uh, your, your insight on, on, on that is uh, quite important. So as we approach the uh, end of the interview, I had uh, one uh, last question uh, for you, which, is, which you've perhaps already an uh, uh, answered <laughs> in a way, but uh, I wanted to ask you whether uh, the uh, sort of um, uh, Afro-pessimism that was manifest sometimes in studies and so on uh, regarding Africa uh, a few years ago. I, is that really a thing of the past or uh, uh, for most of the academic op uh, observers of uh, Africa's context? My point of view, Afro-pessimism is, is all about the issue of positionality. I would like to quote here Chinua Akchebe, a well-known Nigerian writer who in 1988 wrote in his book, Hopes and Impediments, this, Africa is not only a geographical expression, it is also a metaphysical landscape. It is in fact a view of the world 
and the whole cosmos perceived from a particular position. So for me, Afro-pessimism is how you approach things. And I'm not saying that uh, the life is perfect in Africa, but I can see also positive dynamics on the ground. And it is true that the continent must deal with multiple challenges. As I mentioned, from civil war to violent extremism, illegal migration to Ebola. But I do believe that Africa is a high potential region. One of the main stakes for Africa is the issue of ownership and how to find a way to mobilize its own driving forces. And the launch of the IFCTCA, the African Continental Free Trade Era, last year is a positive sign among others. From this point of view, Africa has something positive to say to the rest of the world beyond an Afro-pessimist rhetoric. Well, I guess that will uh, conclude our interview. I wanted to thank you very much, uh, Dr. Degila, for having uh, joined us uh, to uh, talk with uh, such depth on, on, on these issues of Africa this week. And uh, I'm uh, wishing, of course, that uh, in uh, your uh, continuing functions with the uh, Graduate Institute, you'll continue also to uh, uh, interact uh, with the uh, GCSP and leadership in international security courses and, and anything that uh, we do in relation to uh, the field of Africa and, and African development. Thank you very much. Thank you again for your kind invitation. You're most welcome. And to our listeners, uh, I'm inviting you to join us again also uh, next week for the next uh, six weeks and uh, throughout June and half of July uh, to continue hearing about the latest insights on international peace, uh, security and cooperation. So please don't forget that you can subscribe to us on Anchor FM, on Apple iTunes. You can follow us on Spotify and on SoundCloud still. I'm Dr. Paul Vallée with the Geneva Center for Security Policy, and until next week, uh, bye for now.